Hello, all you hustling boss babes. You're listening to episode number 12 of the Not Wonder Woman podcast, How to Get Into the Gig Economy. Welcome to the Not Wonder Woman podcast. No capes, no superpowers, just hustle. Not Wonder Woman removes the myth of the ladies who, quote, have it all and gives practical insight to help you, the working woman, conquer the world like the boss babes we know you are. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Not Wonder Woman podcast. Me and Kieran, we are here today and we are so excited to offer up our Ask the Expert series that we are bringing to you this fall and winter. And today, our first topic is the gig economy. And the gig economy is really what has revolutionized a lot of the way that we work, at least in the United States. And I know uh, Kieran is going to talk about it in the UK, but just if you don't know what a gig economy is, it is an environment where there's temporary positions that are common for organizations and people to contract out. And it, it is short-term engagements by and large. So think about the world of Uber, think about the world of Instacart, all of these things that are happening, at least in the US, have really changed the way we think about doing business. But the trend shows that up to 40% of the American workforce will be in a gig economy by 2020. That is really, really near yes. term. So, so that is now, <laughs> that means 40% basically is now, and we're almost to 2019. So Kieran, this gig economy, Yes. Tell me about it. What's going on in the UK with it? So I think it's definitely becoming like a more prevalent way of working for people. It's almost from what I can understand, I feel like it's a career aspiration. Lots of people want to have this like flexibility where they decide, you know, where they are from one day to the next. And so a, a, a CEO that um, I've worked with really closely have has said that work is a thing you do not a place that you go and that to me really sums up like not just the gig economy but new ways of working and the gig economy is just one way of describing that but I really think it's you know you deciding what kind of work you're doing or you're working for a company where you're you're getting jobs you know as and when and you decide whether you take those jobs or not or you know you take all of the jobs it's it's very much a transactional way of working for it you know there, there is no long-term contract it could be potentially a zero hours contract but that's that, uh, you mentioned instacart which we unfortunately don't have um, but we have things like deliveroo <laughs> we have uber eats we have uber yeah. you know there it's it's those kind of companies um but but not just that kind of thing like we now can and, and I have engaged lawyers legal professionals in this kind of manner as well look just to work on specific projects so it's transcending industries over here what about over there yeah and and I think it, it's one of the yeah for sure over here it's certainly any almost any service-based industry is getting into this area you know I think Fiverr is a good example yes. of it too that we see online where mm. things like graphic designers or website developers you know th this can this can fall into any uh, almost any genre and and for me I used it for outside counsel there there's an online platform called up counsel where people just register and say that's where they go and and put their website in and put their information in and 
lawyers can go and find the right lawyer for them to, to maybe co-work with in some ways and learn their expertise. But, you know, it's about, I think, these creating these platforms for these short-term gigs. And, and really, it is transcendent above just, just a delivery service where we may have seen this before, but really moving into all facets of the professional life. Definitely. I think um, over here, 15 around 15% of UK workers are considered self-employed, although, you know, not necessarily, which is about 5 million people, but not everybody is is in the gig economy. It includes, you know, traditional freelance roles and contractors and, and things like that. But I think there will be like a really big growth of the gig economy. And actually, it's quite exciting because to me, it's synonymous with freedom (laughs) not that we're not free if we're not in the gig economy but you know you have you have more decision making ability um whether or not that means you will work less hard I, i i i don't think that's necessarily the case i just think it certainly creates the maybe illusion of more freedom maybe you've got to do more of these smaller jobs to you know make the same kind of money but I don't I don't know I just think to me it's it's in its infancy it's very new um, and and for that reason I think lots of people want to um, dip their toe in and see what it's like. So today we have one of the preeminent experts on the gig economy Holly Hutchison from rovert.com I can't wait to introduce you hi Holly. Hi good morning. Good morning thank you so much for joining us we are super excited that you are here And today, guys, we are going to be talking about the gig economy, and we really have one of the foremost experts on it. Holly's here, and she is going to blow your mind with all her experience and know-how in this space, and super excited about that and how to market yourself in this space. But Holly, before we get started, why don't you just tell um, our audience a little bit about where you grew up and where you went to school? Sure, sure. I am basically from Seattle, Washington. Uh, My family's from Iowa, but we moved here when I was really young. So I've I've, uh, studied here and formed my career here in Seattle, and I studied uh, mass communications in college with an emphasis on filmmaking. Oh, fabulous. And how is it then that you moved to the world of marketing? You know, it's it's always an unusual progression. There's not a lot of people that have degrees in marketing. Uh, I see that when I'm hiring all the time. You sort of find your way. And I think as a storyteller, uh, my first job out of college with my film degree was in TV news, the local NBC affiliate here in Seattle. So I started telling short stories, I guess, short real-time stories, and I evolved that into uh, longer format, more thematic stories, and then ultimately branding. Uh, I became very interested in brand, and my last four career moves have been very deliberate, uh, going to brands that were changing the story that they wanted to tell. And you're a master storyteller from what I found from you online. I'm super excited to get into that as we go down. All I'm going to tell our audience is the one that caught my attention the most was the Walk It Out commercial. Was that you that did that? Because that was yeah. genius. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. It was... Thank you. That was a very fun piece of creative to do. I have to say, it's, it's a luxury as an advertiser to be able to use dogs in commercials and have a legitimate reason to use them. <laughs> That's right. You guys, I will put a link to this video because it will bring you so much joy. And it is a straight up ad from her current company, Rover, but it is 
awesome and you want to watch it. So anyway, I'm so off topic already, but you are a master storyteller and I could tell just from that to begin with. So that, that's so great to hear that that's kind of the path that got you in to, to marketing really was, it was this idea of storytelling. Um, you know, for a lot of our folks that watch, um, we have a lot of women that really have shifted careers over time. I'm certainly one of them. The shifts are sometimes the hardest things to maneuver as you were kind of going through, um, shifting from kind of the storytelling world. Was there an aha moment or anything that might've happened that caused you to say, man, I really need to get into this path or, or something that just led to that trajectory change? Yes. I think, you know, at one point in my career, there was a lot of pressure to get an MBA mm. and it was something that honestly I had the time to do, which a lot of people don't. And I had the funding, uh, the company I was at at the time would have paid for it. And I felt this obligation to get an MBA. But then when I did some soul searching, I realized what I really wanted to do is just really hone my creative chops with experience. Because there's nothing you can learn in school that you're going to learn on the job, developing advertising and seeing what works and what doesn't and trying to figure out why. And so I made a very deliberate decision to not get an MBA. I had people tell me, you know, you're going to get looked over for some jobs. People aren't even going to consider you because you don't have an MBA. And I decided that if a company was going to do that, that maybe that wasn't a company that I wanted to work for. Mm. And so I really focused on honing my creative skills and my storytelling skills instead. Oh, you're right. On the job makes all the difference. You know, just, just as you think about this, the women we are trying to, to help here at the Not Wonder Woman podcast, maybe in this, this change opportunity or thought thinking about things exactly like this, uh, going to an MBA, not making these changes. Did you have any mentors or anybody that helped um, that you kind of glommed onto to help you make some of these decisions or think through or kind of how was that process? Just I know that's so off topic, but I just think it's so important um, to, to see where people get their advice, good advice about how to how to move their career forward. For sure. I mean, over the years, you know, I, I gravitated towards people, you know, women and men that just seem to be very self-actualized mm. and seem to be very happy with what they do and very comfortable in their own skin. And as I, you know, talk to them and learn more from them, they really followed their gut. Um, they didn't do things because they were told to or because everybody else was doing it or because they felt obligated to. They, they would consider those things, but in the end, they would always trust their gut. And maybe, you know, maybe a more colorful way to say that is follow your heart. And I just noticed that those people seem to be a lot happier. <laughs> and, and I thought, that's, that's what I want to be. I want to be happy and comfortable with who I am. Right. And the thing we go to do every day. Exactly. <laughs> that, that is the challenge. It is. So the real point of making sure I, I got to talk to you today was I was so excited to talk about this because both Kieran and I have kind of moved to what we view as being people that are in this gig economy, kind of leaving traditional business roles and going into the gig economy. And I'm so excited to talk to you as an expert in this. But can you just tell our audience a little bit about what the gig economy is to you and how it's been a market disruptor? I, I think what's most fascinating about the gig economy is that the, the one-size-fits-all job of yesteryear, where you start out working for a company and you work 40 hours a week and you have limited PTO and vacation time and you work there for 30 years and then you get a pension... That just doesn't work for our lifestyles anymore. It hasn't for a long time. Maybe a gold so, watch. It, Maybe a gold watch to it. Yeah, yeah or, or a pink Cadillac. Right. You know, but <laughs> those are so useful. But that just, it just doesn't work anymore. And uh, we have life stages, you know. There's, there's times in our life when we can dedicate 
several hours a week to working. And then there's times when we're starting a family, whether it's with, you know, human children or dog children, or, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, a lot of us are dealing with aging parents at a certain time in our life. And the, the regular standard job just doesn't fit that uh, lifestyle anymore. And so the beauty of the gig economy, well, there's, there's many beautiful things about it, but, but one of the things that's more obvious is the flexibility. You know, you can, you can kind of work at your own pace. You can take jobs when you want them. You can, you can, you know, not take them when it's not convenient for you. With something like Rover, you can find something that you really love doing and get paid for it. That may not be true of all gigs. Most gig gig jobs have the flexibility. Rover has the added value of, you know, most people say that they would do this for free because they just love hanging out with dogs. Uh, But there's the fringe benefit of getting paid. And then what we also learn from from our citizen walkers is that they usually have a specific goal in mind. So even if you have the daytime job that pays the bills, there's something else that you're saving for, whether it's a big wedding or continuing education. Uh, We've heard from people that sometimes it's a bucket list trip to Europe, Mm. but there's that extra thing that your regular salary just isn't going to cover. And that's where the gig economy can step in and really help people get those extra funds. Mm. The, the side hustle that gets you there. I know I, I love that idea and, and that reminder. For, for, for us, as I think about the gig economy, too, th- this idea that it could start as a side hustle uh, to, to get you exactly to a goal or something else, to me, that's what's also so enticing about it because you could stay in the comfort, for lack of a better word, of a, of a traditional job and, and get some experience on the side and then leap when it's time. And so that, to me... Also, that kind of flexibility is what's so enticing about a gig economy because you can get that exactly what you were saying earlier, the experience that you need to, to figure something out if this is what you want to do. And, and that to me also seems, you know, just, just like an added yeah. benefit to it all. Yeah. I mean, having also having different sources of income is just really smart, you know, so that you're not relying on just one thing uh, as your, you know, sole source of income. The other part that's really great about the gig economy is it used to be, I mean, you know, entrepreneurs and small business owners have been around forever, but it used to be a lot harder to start your own business. You had to have some kind of a startup fund, you know, uh, you had to go into business for yourself. And, and the gig economies are very turnkey. You know, we do all the marketing. Right. <laughs> we do all the marketing for you. The customers just come to you and you either accept or you don't. Mm. Uh, our sitters and walkers set their own prices, so you can decide you know, if you want to be a really high-end celebrity dog walker or if you just love dogs and want to, you know, want to take dogs in on the weekends. Uh, it's, it's very flexible and very custom. As we talk here toward professional women that may be interested in, in dipping their foot into the gig economy, are there any things that you think are particularly helpful to women in the workplace or particularly hurtful to women in the workplace when it comes to the gig economy? Or is it is it basically all upside? You know, I think what's really helpful, I mean, that's probably the easiest one for me to to answer is, depending on the type of gig that you're considering, you don't have to have a lot of experience. Uh, It depends on what it is. I mean, with with dog walking, we we have specific training that we put people through, and I'm sure other other gig economy uh, businesses have the same. But but it's it's pretty flexible to your stage of life. Mm -hmm. You don't, for example, you don't have to have higher education for some of these gig economies. And sometimes it's hard for women to find jobs very competitive out there if you don't have all the credentials and what's nice is the gig economy can either be a bridge until you do find something or it can be like we talked about that supplement all the Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. Have, have you seen big companies starting to move toward hiring more gig related folks 
as opposed to full-time employees? Where do you see that going with respect to big companies maybe moving into this space because of this market disruptor that's out there? I think it depends on the industry. You know, I'm pretty familiar with the advertising industry because I've worked in and around it my whole career. And I know that advertising agencies are increasingly moving away from the really top-heavy structure where they have full-time employees and they have the fancy building. uh, And they're starting to pull people in based on the work, Mm. more like a gig type structure. And so what's nice for, from, a, from a marketer standpoint on the client side is you can go to an agency and say, I have this unique problem I need to solve. I need these kind of people to solve it. And they go pull together a custom team. And I've seen that a lot more on the ad agency side. Kieran and I are, both happen to be lawyers and we both kind of gig ourselves out and, and may know how to go find the best target audience and how to market ourselves in that. But as you think through marketing yourself, in a gig economy, it's one thing when you have a company like Rover that does do the marketing and those kind of things and you know kind of a specific area you want to get into um, and you can go find a great partner like Rover to do something like that with. Is there other ways women could think about going to going out there to market themselves in this in this kind of gig economy to be the one that the company calls to get the job? I mean, is there things like that that you can help maybe give our audience an insight into? you know, the gig uh, business that you've aligned yourself with. With Rover, you know, we spent we spent years fine-tuning our platform so that it optimizes for the sitters and helps them get more customers in their area during the times that they need it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the platform that you join can help you do that. Mm-hmm. But our sitters can also market themselves under Rover. You know, we, like I said, we do a lot of the big marketing, like the television. That's very, um, you know, hard for individuals to do. But that doesn't mean, you know, we're... We're a, a global company that is really about local service. Mm. Uh, you know, oftentimes the person that's taking care of your dog is just a neighbor that you haven't met yet. Mm, it's right. in your neighborhood. And so you can do, you know, our sitters can do neighborhood marketing. You know, word of mouth is still the most powerful form of marketing out there. And mm. we find that that is especially true with a service like Rover because trusting the person that's going to take care of your dog is so important. Word of mouth is really critical. And, and sitters are the best. They're the best marketers for the company. Mm. Is, is, is there a platform, in your platform, do you allow for things like uh, recommendations or, or five-star five reviews, those kind of things? Is that a helpful tool for the, the people that are trying to continue to market themselves and spread that word of mouth? Yes, I mean, all of our sitters, you know, get reviewed by the owners and, and, and are rated with stars. And then there's detail in the reviews. So, for example, if you are a sitter that also is open to taking care of cats or, you know, some of our sitters, you know, take care of feed fish, all <laughs> kinds of stuff, you can include that in your review. So you can have your, your customer include that in the review and then that lets future customers know the breadth of your services. So you can market within the platform and really customize it. Some of our sitters specialize in certain breeds of dogs. Some have specialties with older dogs that require medicine and that kind of thing. And so all of that customization can be captured in the reviews and also captured in their profile. Mm-hmm. And that way they're they're marketing their special set of skills, if you will. It's not just a, gen- a general dog sitter. You, you can really carve out a niche for yourself within 
the Rover platform. As you guys think about marketing overall for Rover, how are you marketing yourselves to the potential people that will join your gig economy? I mean, how are you guys going out there and finding the right sitters and those kind of things that are out there? How, how should a company think about that? I think marketing always comes down to the basics, which is really understanding your customer. And in a shared economy like ours, I have basically two big customer sets. One side of the marketplace is the dog owners, and the other side is the dog care providers. Mm. So they're both a customer. And we do a lot of research, you know, just interviewing our sitters, interviewing our owners, talking to them about their their hopes and their fears and their wants. Uh, And it's fascinating. Dog owner segmentation is fascinating. Mm. You know, there are some dog owners that are very confident in their dog's behavior and and a pretty confident pet parent. Mm. Uh, There are, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are people that have a lot of anxiety associated with their dog. They think their dog has, you know, special needs or has behavioral issues. And so they're, they're very concerned about the type of care they get. So we, we learn from our customers and target content to them that can help them be better pet parents mm. and help them understand how Rover can help them, you know, on either end of that spectrum. And then the same thing with the sitters, you know, really learning what motivates them. Like this was a, you know, there was a, a notion, all of our sitters like dogs. That's kind of a, a, a foundational <laughs> thing. They all love dogs, but they... But, but they also, you know, they, they're also in it for the money. They, they, they do this because they, they have these special special projects or special, um, you know, dreams that they want to fulfill with extra money. And so it's really understanding that and help them, helping them understand how they can make more money from Rover and how they can be a better provider to pet owners, like by expanding their services. But it's really about, I mean, marketing always just comes down to, insights and really understanding your customer just in our case there happens to be customers on two on both sides of the marketplace right and well and i think i think that's true almost for any any gig economy it's it's at the end of the day i I currently am in kind of a gig economy world where i'm hired by a company but my goal is to make sure that the end users exactly for my company it happens to be energy but make sure they get served well every day not every day because that's why it's a gig economy and that's why i love it that's why i get to interview you on a podcast on a friday (laughs) So, so it's fabulous. It is fabulous. Yeah, flexible, flexible schedule. Exactly. I, I know. So I guess, uh, yeah, maybe you'll take dog walkers and lawyers as well. So maybe I need to go look on the platform to, to supplement for me. Uh, <laughs> But I, but I do love, I love this aspect of the gig economy. And to me, it has been such a disruptor in um, my own industry. And so it's so exciting to see um, these filling of market gaps that are out there that are clear, clearly want to be filled because people are so excited to go hire these services. I was, I was going to ask you just in general for the gig economy. I've seen the rise of Uber, the rise of Instacart, the rise of Rover, the rise of these kinds of companies, of these service type companies. You know, kind of where do you see the gig economy going in the next, you know, five to 10 years? And and what should people potentially be prepared for in that? I might be optimistic, but I I think it's going to grow a lot. I, I think that more and more services that are that have traditionally been uh, cottage industries are harder for people to source or going to come online and become more of a sharing economy. Mm. I mean, the nice thing about the gig economy is that it, it doesn't, you know, for example, if, if you are a boutique dog walker, for example, that doesn't mean that you can't still use Rover to get clients, mm. you know, and, and, and bring them through the Rover platform. And the same thing holds for other industries right now that are, 
still pretty fragmented. Uh, the only way that you really find out how to how to get access to a certain service is through your friends and family, or you know, through Facebook or something. Um, I see more and more services coming into the gig economy, and what that means is that people have more and more choices. I mean, I see a world where somebody has you know five to ten side gigs, and all those together add up to their job mm. and that is that is their job they don't they don't have to have the traditional nine-to-five job they just have the ultimate flexibility and several sources of income that that make it you know somewhat recession proof depending on what these different gigs are right. it just seems like in some ways a better construct for how to make a living no i totally agree and it's it to me it's just super exciting for the women out there, like you just said, just going through different phases of life, and especially as women in business, we do. I mean, if we if we are getting out of school, starting a family, or as you said, caring for aging parents, that to me is what is so exciting. And that's exactly the phase I'm in where I, I thought, man, I'm going to have to leave my traditional job. And I never thought I would say that. I, I, I just never thought. And then I also never thought... I would get the opportunity to be in a gig type economy. And so to me, it just, it ended up falling in my lap in ways that have been joyous to experience because I didn't think this kind of life was possible where you could, where you could go into an office two days a week and the other days do other things, you know, that, that, that uh, bring you some joy or do something else. And to me is what is so exciting about the gig economy. And, and I, I feel like Maybe the only limitation is what people really want to go out there and gig, right? I, I think I think you can, like yeah. you said, the barriers are so are so low now. Um, mainly a computer and the internet, and you can almost do anything. I think right. th- these right. days, and just find, and just get access to things that before were harder harder to find, mm. you know, and that, that just weren't organized in a way that it was easy to find them and easy to find quality. Right. You know, what's nice about the gig economy with the rating system is, is that your peers and your friends are are telling you how they like the service, what they liked, what they didn't like. So mm. you, you're very informed when you go into these uh, situations. Oh, I love it. I love it. Is there anything else just, you know, of, of the plans of Rover that you'd be willing to share with us of kind of how they're planning to grow and expand uh, in the next five to 10 year you know there's some pretty obvious product extensions i mean just providing more dog care you know as we learn from our sitters the additional services that they can provide i mean that's kind of an obvious expansion for rover there's just geographic expansion international expansion is is a real opportunity for us and then you know beyond that what we're also finding is that there's a real desire for information uh dog owners crave information and they crave not you know expertise in care, not not to the extent of veterinary care. If it's something medical, you need to go to a vet. But they really want to talk to other dog owners and kind of compare notes. And we found that our sitters have a wealth of information. You know, I always say we have more eyes, ears, uh, hearts, and feet on the street every day taking care of dogs. Mm. There's a lot of information that our sitters are gathering on dog care, and we're we're figuring out more and better ways to share that with the other with our other sitters, so they can learn, and also with our owners. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to see where that heads because I do think this is important for the women that listen to the podcast. I see here that you are a part of the Team Survivor Northwest. And um, I just, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot is is using your kind of nonprofit or your the things that pull on your heart uh, experiences uh, to supplement your current workaday world. And I just would love to hear a little bit about why you might have gotten involved with that group and and kind of what you've learned from being part of a nonprofit. Because we always want to encourage the women that listen to us to give back to their communities. And I love talking to women that do the same thing. Craig, yes, it's uh, you know I'm a big believer in what I call share wisdom and I choose the word wisdom very carefully because it's not 
it's not just your experience, it's not just your area of expertise. Wisdom is always, uh, always comes with a price. <laughs> There's always been pain involved in learning. You know, some of my most painful learning experiences always end up being the ones where, you know, are just the most valuable ultimately. And so I like to share my wisdom and I, I have, you know, different nonprofits over the years I've joined with Team Survivor. My husband is a two-time cancer survivor and mm. Team Survivor Northwest provides free fitness classes for women at all stages of cancer to help them uh, with uh, physical activity, but really it's about the sense of community. There's a huge emotional benefit to just being with other women that are going through what you're going through. But like most nonprofits, they don't know a lot about marketing. You know, so I, I, I joined, I try and help them with their marketing, with their positioning, with their storytelling. You know, so it, it's, it's great to take the stuff that you learn at work and, and the things that you apply to your work life every day and then share those in the nonprofit sector so that people can benefit from it as well. It's incredibly rewarding. And uh, I do recommend that everybody at least try it. Yes, I, I totally agree. And to me, you know, it's been... It's been so fun when you find business relationships that, that spring forth from the same shared concerns or, or a just true, true love of an organization and a cause. To me, those are when, when I've created the most authentic relationships. And maybe they lead to business, maybe they don't. And I, that's not, it's never about that part of it, but it's been so interesting to see when you've invested that kind of time in a real organization, how it just pays you back in, in good, good feelings, you know, shared wisdom. You inevitably learn something from them, but that to me has been just such a, such a joy in my own life. And so I love Love hearing stories of how other professional women um, just give back of themselves and, and and the joy that it brings. Yeah, of course, I agree. I agree. I, to me, it takes some of the pain out of the hard-earned wisdom. You have to spread it around. And I would say, please learn from my mistakes. It makes them hurt less. That's right. No, that's so true. That's so true. It's time for the Fast Five. No planning, five questions, real answers. So if you're ready to take on my Fast Five questions, I have them here for you. Okay, it sounds like a game show. I'm it, ready. It is. You don't win any prize at the end, though. Oh, all right. That's okay. <laughs> my thing. Okay, so if you are having a terrible day, what's the one song you want to put in the radio and hear and listen and sing your heart out to? Oh, it's probably counterintuitive, but I, I my theme song is Bad Luck by Social Distortion. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Okay. That's, that's fabulous. Okay. So the house is burning down. What's the one thing you go grab? My cat. Your cat. I love it. Wait, but are you allowed to say that? You work for Rover. <laughs> you know, we have a growing, a growing uh, segment of Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, that's right. The cat. Okay. So here, this is this is kind of a two-part question. So just forgive me on this. But ha- um, what is your favorite book right now, and how do you read books? Are you reading them on your tablet, computer, or the real thing? Wow. Uh, I I read mostly on tablet. I have kind of made the transition to more uh, electronic reading formats. And I have to say, because I feel like I read all the time at work, professional stuff, my books are always complete and total escapism. So I love I'm rereading Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, I'm rereading all the Harry Potter books because they make me happy. They do. I know. <laughs> I like Halloween. I love it. I love it. That's fabulous. It's so good. I'm actually, uh, I'm with you on that. It's funny. I always, I read... 
I only read nonfiction, which is is weird. Um, and then I and then I only watch fiction for the same reason. Like so so if I'm watching TV, it's it's my escapism. If I'm reading something, it's always nonfiction, um, which is just bizarre. But uh, but the, but I'm with you on that. I love I, like I, I love that 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 you you do think about that. Right? What what is your escapism? Because we all need that at some point. So I'm I'm very with you exactly, on that. Exactly. Exactly. I wish I had a more intellectual answer, but I never do. No. I'm some children's book, it seems like. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. Okay. So then here's question number four, even though my last one was a two-parter. Uh, what helps you the most to stay organized during the day? You know, I have, I call it a plan of record. I think some people might call it a journal, mm-hmm. but I review my plan of record every morning and it's, it's, part, you know, tactical and part personal, uh, but it just, it just grounds me and, and it's, it's kind of like affirmations, just how I want to run my life and how I want my day to go. And so I do that every morning. I, I get up really early and I, I sort of review that and ground myself before I start my day. Is that written or is that on your phone or kind of what, is it an app or anything like that? It's just in notes. Um, it's, it's electronic, but it's just, it. it's just kind of a running, you know, it's kind of, like I said, kind of like a journal, but it's more affirmations and, and things that I want to accomplish. What a good practice. Last question. It's kind of silly. What is the one thing that you always have with you? One odd thing, I will say that, that you always have with you in your briefcase or handbag? And I'll tell you mine. Mine's a can opener. Like, I always have a can opener, which is really weird, and I know that. So, that, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Uh-huh. So, I have... I like pepper. <laughs> I have a very tiny Peugeot pepper grinder that I keep with me at all times so I can put fresh ground pepper on things. Because it's, it's the little things in life. Isn't just it? just kind of reminds me that, yeah. Isn't it? Okay. We both have sort of kitchen appliances in our... That's interesting. They're I, both kind of food-related. Well, I will tell you, mine is the opposite of yours, if you want to consider that. I also always have salt. salt. I yeah, always want yeah, salt. I usually have um, Splenda. Nice. Okay. All right. So, ladies, whatever's in your handbag, it's normal. That's what we're here to say. <laughs> it's normal for us. It's your own normal. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, you survived the Fast Five, and you won, according to me, because I think those answers okay. were perfect. They were perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're honored to have you and get your expertise for the Not Wonder Woman podcast. This episode is generously sponsored by Blonde Biscotti Coffee and Biscotti Bar in the heart of Houston, Texas. They are proud to serve third wave coffee and soft baked biscotti, blondebiscotti.com. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to click the subscribe button on iTunes so you never miss a show. And we want to hear from you, so please feel free to send us your questions and comments to notwonderwomanpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us at our website, notwonderwoman.com.